Tove's top five because ten is too many. Tove's top five because Stubbs is too busy. Tove's top five, I don't know what he's up to, but he's clearly busy. So let's talk about some tunes, cause it's Tove's top five. Greetings all. Welcome to the the first iteration here of Tof's Top 5. And, and thank you for pressing play or downloading or whatever you did. We're going to have some fun with this spinoff project. Looking forward to it and excited, you know, here on the first to bring you somebody that um, we, I don't think we've talked about on, on the big, the big podcast, but figured it would be a good place to start because it's an extremely difficult uh, top five to, to formulate almost impossible. But, you know, sometimes those are the ones that are the most fun. And of course, we're speaking about Prince Rogers Nelson. Now, a couple of questions. First of all, how long did it take one to realize that Prince was actually his real name, like his given birth name? Second, how long did it take one to realize that this guy's like a freak, just an absolute freak musician talent? How long did it take one to realize that this guy can play the guitar, you know, up there with some of the, the best ever? And how long did it take one to realize that one needs to 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 purify themselves in the waters of Lake Minnetonka? I actually kind of jumped on the Prince thing rather early. Saw him in concert in the late nineties. And you know, his concerts are, I mean, it's it's they're very unusual. It's not like you go there and it's like hit after hit after hit, you know sort of a standardized set list. I mean, he just kind of goes up there and just jams and like half the time you don't even know what he's playing or what they're doing, but you don't really care. It's just so mesmerizing to watch him perform and his band was always tight. And so I I got pretty into it, particularly around the time of a few of the songs that made my top five came about because, you know, I was born in 1980 and, and early on Prince, it's like, it's like the bathtub, you know, and when doves cry and kind of all the like sort of pervy stuff. I mean, you, you're kind of like, you're kind of scared of him, you know, you know, cause you're pretty young and you're seeing all this, you know, that there's something kind of weird and, extremely sexual about what this guy's doing, you know? And so when I got to be sort of teenage, really started to kind of generate a respect and a, okay, like this is not some pop. Cause, cause you could, you could have thought early that he was a kind of a manufactured pop star guy. 
you know, and the more you learn, obviously, about the Minneapolis sound and the fact that he writes everything and performs most everything all by himself. And, you know, you kind of realize that this was not um, typical. This was not a typical talent. And then, of course, the songs that he wrote for others, because that was a big part of this, too. You know, nothing compares to you and Manic Monday. And I mean, this this was a dude that wasn't just writing and recording himself. This dude was contributing to the musical spectrum uh, in a way that few others did or had the ability to. So, and now, of course, you know, obviously, you know, supported by the fact that, you know, Prince died very suddenly and very tragically you know, going back about seven years ago, it was in April of 2016, of a drug overdose, um, fentanyl, accidental. That brought to light, you know, that this was a special artist that in music circles, everyone just thought would be around forever, you know? And his later work had become really interesting in terms of kind of the ultimate fusion this guy could do rock he could do pop he could do soul he could do funk he could do you know real instruments synthesized instruments everything so i think that now it's really kind of easy to say you know how special of an artist he was and all those type of things but i really started to kind of get on board with it you know kind of in the late 90s and certainly thereafter and especially as a guitar player, you also start to realize, like, geez, this guy could wail. Legitimately wail. Almost had, like, his own sound. I think one of the one of the really special moments for Prince was the Super Bowl halftime show in 2007. Probably the best halftime show the Super Bowl's ever done. And I don't know. that There was something about that performance that was... Um, just really special. And now, of course, you've seen where the the direction of where these Super Bowl halftime shows have gone. It sort of makes you yearn for the days where they could put a talent like Prince up there. But that was kind of a special moment, you know, that a lot of people um, remember. And he just always found ways, I mean, over, you know, 35-year music career, to, you know, be extremely relevant without ever jeopardizing himself, without ever, you know, selling out or going with the trend. He was always original and had the ability to be always original because of his talent. So I will now sell five copies of the three EPs by the beta band. Do it. I want to do an album worth mentioning every episode and just step aside from the artist for a second before we get to the top five. And that it's actually like a three part album, but that is, uh, is it Adam? Adam? A-T-U-M. A rock opera in three acts by the Smashing Pumpkins. And it's really good. I mean, some of their later... Stuff has been kind of hit or miss, but there's some really cool, unique sounds 
on this. Let's see. There's 11, 11. There's 33 total tracks on this thing. It's sort of three separate albums that are all combined into one. But I would definitely peg it as something worth listening to. It's a commitment. You know, it's a long, it's a long set. You got 33 songs, but that's my album worth mentioning before we turn it over to the top five. And I don't know. Those guys are interesting. Billy Corgan just, I think he's kind of landed on something here. Obviously back with James and and Jimmy sort of other than uh, a few times where he had to go in the penalty box, you know, uh, has more commonly than not been a part of the project. So, I mean, you've got kind of the, it's a really neat story. I mean, that, you know, Billy kind of went out on his own for a long time with this, but then slowly kind of realized that the other guys were heavy contributors and now they're doing more composition than they ever had before as well. And it's pretty neat. The the growth and, and sort of development of, Billy Corgan as an artist going from somebody that was rather high ego, absurdly high talent to somebody who's kind of now embraced the concept of it being a team sport is, uh, is pretty neat. So Adam, a rock opera and three X by Smashing Pumpkins. Now here's a guy that, that didn't necessarily need this to be a team sport. And, and that's the great Prince. This was a very, very hard one. You know, this is a very hard one. There's a couple honorable mentions here that it's like, ah, tough one, tough one to not get in the top five. But that's the name of the game, as Thunderlips, the ultimate male said. So let's go ahead with it and let's get to Toph's top five with Prince. So this was, this was not easy. This was not easy. And again, we're going to kind of go in order as best, as best as I can on this one, but pretty heavy during one particular era and a couple of honorable mentions that were really tough to not include, but let's start with Number five on the list. Number five. Number five. Please call me Johnny Five. Johnny, you have taken name for yourself. This is a track from the March 1993 Symbol album. You know, remember when he changed his name to a symbol because he was all pissed off at Warner Brothers and the whole thing. It's on that record, and it's track four on that record, and it's called The Morning Papers. He realized that she was new to love. Naive in every way Every schoolboy's fantasy she was That's why he had to wait If they pulled It was a pretty big hit Um, And he did this kind of He's always did some kind of weird stuff One of them tied to this album was he released, it was like a home video called Three Chains O' Gold. And all the sort of best songs from this album got a video and they compiled it into this sort of story arc. I mean, whatever, it was kind of dumb. But 
but this was certainly a highlight of that, and this was one of the um, top singles. Now, this album had some other pretty strong singles, um, but The Morning Papers was one of the stronger ones that got a lot of video airplay. Love the groove. You got horns. Uh, you got some great sections. Here's a little guitar work from the man. And of course, uh, like many great Prince tracks, uh, this is no exception. What a great outro. So yeah, this was this was around a time. I mean, think about what was happening around the time that this song came out. This is like right in the heart of grunge. In fact, in the video, Prince is wearing flannel. You know, a lot of people were wondering if he was like getting hip to the grunge look, you know. But, you know, you put out a song like this in in 93 when it's all about sort of minimalist guitar type music and this is very polished with horns and things that were kind of unique at the time. But again, that's Prince doing it his way. Amazing song. Number five on the list, the morning papers. Oh, a fine shot. Oh, I should have yelled too. Now, number four uh, is a cover. And certainly, you know, Prince benefited from many people covering some of his songs, but God, he had the ability to create some pretty interesting interpretations of others. Now this song, this song, I hate the original. It was a, it was a Joan Osborne song. That was this giant hit. And I never understood why it was one of those, like when it came on MTV, I just get pissed, go grab a snack or something. Take take five, you know? And it was written by the guy. We've talked a little bit on the big podcast about Hooters, the band from the eighties and, and some of the talent that was a little bit unheralded there. And one of the, the founders of that group is a guy named uh, Eric Bazillion. He wrote this song for Joan Osborne later covered by Prince for the triple album, <laughs> just slightly indulgent. It was like a triple CD, which at the time was very unusual you know, for, especially for a studio release in November, 1996, this was the emancipation record, which, I mean, you think double album syndrome exists. Wait till, you know, triple album Prince syndrome. I mean, there's so much junk on it, but you know, you pick out a couple handfuls of spots and it could have been an, an amazing album, but you know, Hey, it's Prince. He can do whatever the hell he wants. He wants to release a triple album. He can do it. This is a cover of the Joan Osborne song. And it comes in at number four on Toph's top five. One of us. Now, the original of this, I'm sure many of you recall, was like this very boring 
kind of twangy, draggy thing, and, and you know, and the video was just Joan Osborne's giant face on the TV screen. It was just, it was just kind of a stupid song. And I heard this, and it was like, oh my goodness, <laughs> it's one of the high points of this triple LP for sure. Replaces just a slob like one of us with just a slave. That was Prince's whole thing around this time. He was at war with the record company. Even, I think he wrote slave on his cheek for like three years. Whenever he went out in public, he had that. Um, This song also has just a completely kick-ass outro with some great guitar work. So I love it. I mean, it's one of those two that got kind of overlooked. I mean, there was so much going on around this time, you know, commercially that I'm, I'm not sure a lot of people heard it. Plus, Emancipation was so long as a as a listen and as a record. You know, I'm not sure how many people actually sort of got, you know, plowed through it and got to it. But his cover of One of Us comes in at number four on Tuff's Top 5. <laughs> Let's get to number three. We got an older, this is one of his first songs. So, you know, nice mix here of some of the later stuff. And then this track off of Dirty Mind, which was actually, this was a B-side. It was a B-side for Controversy. Prince said that he, when he wrote this song, it was, he was listening to a lot of John Lennon. He was inspired by John Lennon, apparently. Hopefully he means Lennon's like Beatles stuff, not the solo, not the solo work that you've heard how much we love, you know, over time. But this is off of Dirty Mind, January 1985, track two, When You Were Mine. So part of what's going to make top five so difficult, you know, is sort of different eras, right? You're going to have, especially for artists that are going to have this much longevity, you're going to have early stuff, middle stuff, later stuff. And I think, you know, you've got to have something in your top five that reflects the early work. I love the minimalist nature of this. I mean, Prince played everything, which he often did. Drums, bass, guitar, um, and then, you know, two synthesizers. Love the groove of it, love the beat of it, and love the minimalist nature of it. This is something that he, you can tell he whipped up in the corner of his studio and recorded it by himself, and that's part of what makes it awesome. 
So, when you were mine from 1980 comes in at uh, number three. All right. Utah, give me two. The final two. Now, these are two just killer songs. These are two tracks that, you know, could probably listen to twice a day and it would never be a problem. And the first one is from a record that, you know, again, I'll take, I'll take us back to kind of the late nineties time period. This is off the gold experience came out in September, 1995. It's probably my favorite Prince album. I mean, there's, you know, there's always some stuff to weed out on, on Prince records, but this one top to bottom, I probably listened to and still listen to more than any of his other records, you know, including some that were more sort of loaded, you know, like around the world in a day and purple rain. I mean, those are, those are chalked, but the gold experience, which actually they just reissued on vinyl. It's a really cool album. There's some really standout tracks on it. Um, Endorphin machine dolphin. A lot of people know P control, you know, P control, the opener, not safe for work, but, you know, a Prince classic nonetheless, but this is the closing track. And this, before this came out, Prince said, you know, this is kind of my next purple rain type track in terms of it being kind of a longer epic piece and just an absolutely phenomenal song. Closing up the gold experience with gold. It clocks in at uh, seven and a half minutes. Um, There was a little bit of an edit for the video, which got some airplay. I mean, this was a decent single. Um, Considering, again, this was kind of a tough time for Prince to really break through. You know, again, 95, you're in sort of the height of grunge and even, you know, rap rock and some of this stuff started to come on in kind of the early part of new metal. So, I mean, it was, you know, Prince probably trying to find a, find a lane in a way and came out with a song that I, I think didn't get enough attention, um, but just an amazing closer to this record. I mean, it really builds and builds, you know, with some awesome harmonies, some great groove. And then, of course, broken record here, a phenomenal outro with a long, outstanding guitar piece that helps close up the record. I mean, it's just killer. It's just a freaking awesome song. And, you know, I I wouldn't be surprised if there are a lot of people that have never heard it, you know, because it was last track on an album where there was just, it, it was so fragmented at this time to try and break through in terms of 
video play or, or radio airplay or any of these things, but gold is number two on the list of my top five and just an outstanding, I've always waited a little bit for this song to sort of make a, make a comeback, you know, cause I think it's good enough to, you know, where people could rediscover it and kind of be like, God, how did I miss this song back in 95? But certainly glad I know it now. It's an unbelievably good song. And it comes in at number two. All right, let's do number one. Here we go. It's a good thing. It's the best. uplifting song here let's see this covers uh this february 1987 off the double lp of the same name uh the 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 content is very uplifting lyrically it covers uh aids gang violence natural disasters poverty drug abuse uh this the space shuttle challenger disaster and of course impending nuclear holocaust um so Prince really hitting on all the sort of feel good topics here. But with that said, here's what I love about it. The, the contrast of something that is very bouncy, um, a little kind of bluesy, but very minimalist. I mean, this is like straight up. Of course, Prince did everything on the track and it was all through. Um, synthesized stock sounds. He didn't create any new sounds. He's kind of just playing with existing stock effects off of a synth and came up with something this dynamic, which is pretty amazing. So it was a tough call whether to go one or two along with gold, but track number one in Toast Top 5 is... This got a lot of airplay. It really was a big hit. And off the double LP of the same name, Sign of the Times, I distinctly remember, we've talked a lot about our mom. This song came on the radio. We were in the car, you know, so I must have been seven. This was 87. And she just started jamming. Like, like, oh, this is Prince's new song. It's so good. And I remember like, Wanting for the most part, whenever there was something that she was real, because you know you're seven years old and you're like, you know. um, I remember being like, oh, if mom likes this song, it probably can't be that good. I won't like. It. And I remember being like, oh, she's right. This is really freaking awesome. <laughs> like this is outstanding. The groove, the beat. It's even cooler when you realize that he just pulled a bunch of existing stock effects and created this. Um, but you know, you've got some blues guitar elements coming in and out. The vocals awesome. 
unique song structure. You know, it's not hooky um, other than the beat and sort of the basic bounce of it. And I just think it's an extremely unique and pretty amazing song. When a rocket ship explodes You know, those guitar licks, the vocal performance. I'm telling you, I just think it's Prince at his best. Number one, numero uno. And that's a wrap. That's what we're going to do. That's how this is going to roll. You know, nice and simple, right down the fairway. You know, quick recap. The morning papers, one of us, when you were mine. Gold and Sign of the Times makes up the top five for Prince. The honorable mentions, these were three that were very difficult to not include. I Would Die for You, I Could Never Take the Place of Your Man, which is also off Sign of the Times, and then Little Red Corvette, which is such a freaking good song. I hated leaving that off, but something had to go. Something had to go. Listen, thank you all for giving this a listen. We're going to keep this going. Got some some cool, interesting artists that you haven't heard, you know, us talk about on the big, big podcast. You haven't heard me talk about. So, you know, if you guys are down, we'll keep this thing going. But uh, but that's a wrap on a legend, really, musical legend in Toast Top 5 for Prince. So, hey, we made it through one. And uh, really appreciate it. And, you know, let's run them back. So we'll see you again for the next edition, iteration of Toast Top 5. Y'all be good. <laughs> <laughs>